Well, the year was uh, July of 1499. 1499. A prominent French cardinal secured the finances for and commission for the creation of a hand-carved marble statue that he would have as a funeral monument. And so the contract was put together. A young sculptor was hired to make this uh, hand-carved statue uh, and given to the cardinal that he would use for a funeral monument. So when the sculpture was completed, uh, they had an unveiling. Uh, Cardinal was pretty proud of himself, and he wanted everybody to see this work. And anyway, they had the the, the statue there covered and uh, unveiled it, pull, pulled the cloth off, and everyone was in complete shock and awe of what they saw. It was not just a hand-carved statue. It was truly a masterpiece. Those who saw it were like, who made this? Who, who could do something like this? And, and they would say, well, it had to be so-and-so from so-and-so country. Nobody here could, could produce this kind of uh, artwork or, or somebody else. And, and so the discussion went on <clears throat> just in complete awe of this statue. It was so recognized as a masterpiece that in the 18th century, it was moved from the French cardinal's burial spot to one of the most famous churches in all of Europe. And you may be asking, well, Shannon, what what is this masterpiece? Well, I'm going to say that you probably have seen this statue before. May not know its name. Its name is La Pieta, uh, hand-carved in 1499. Now, when I just look at that statue, and and let me preface what I'm going to say uh, about this. I'm not an art school person. I don't study art. So if you want to come ask me about all the shadowing and stuff, you, you need to talk to somebody else. I'm not your person to talk to. But what I can do is recognize the incredible work. And when I stop and think about No power tools, no pneumatic tools of any kind, no polishers, no grinders, nothing. Just a block of rock, marble, Caraba marble in this case, a hammer and a chisel in the hands of a sculptor. It is truly one of the most greatest pieces of art that we have uh, today. Recognized as a masterpiece. And I just want to give you a couple of things about this statue that, that you may not know. Uh, there's been a lot of books written about it. What I find really fascinating about this masterpiece is when you look up close, you probably can't see it here on the screen, Mary's face is very young, like the young, the young face of a, of a new mother. Um, and of course, there's the body of Christ as he comes down from the cross, his dead body, uh, before he's buried. Uh, so, why is Mary's face so young? Well, there's some theories on that. One that I really like, that I think may have been the case, is that this sculptor had a, almost like a hidden message in his art. And so there's Mary, Mother Mary, young Mary, looking down at her little Lamb of God, the babe of Bethlehem. But what we see as the viewer is the sacrificial Lamb of God who gave his life for us. Uh, just lots of incredible things about, about this sculpture. 
And I want to give you just a few of the facts. It is called the Pieta. It means the pity in Latin. Um, it was made by Michelangelo. Uh, he sculpted this, and here's what blows me away at the age of 23. I, I know some 23-year-olds. I have a 23-year-old son. He couldn't do that in Plato, much less, much less block of stone with just his hand and a chisel and a hammer. Incredible um, feat that he did. It was uh, sculpted in 1499, finished within a year. Uh, he did this work within a year and presented it to the, to the cardinal. Uh, still recognized today as one of, if not the greatest works of art from the Renaissance area. I'd say probably be the Pieta and the Mona Lisa are the two most recognizable uh, arts of the, of the Renaissance era. Um, currently resides today in the Vatican City and St. Peter's Basilica. That's where you would find it today, still around uh, to look at. And what I find also truly interesting about this particular statue it is the only artwork that Michelangelo ever signed. And there's a story behind that. <clears throat> the story is, as I said, when it was unveiled, people were just in, sh- in shock and awe of this work. Who could have done this? Who could, there's no one in this town who could, done, who could do this kind of work. Who, who did this? And because of all those comments that were being said, that night Michelangelo went back to the statue and carved Michelangelo made this across the sash on the chest of Mary. And he said, to the day he died, it's the, it's the, the one thing he most regretted in his life. From that point on, he never signed. Sistine Chapel, all the other works that he did, he never signed them. So truly just a masterpiece. Uh, incredible, incredible work of art. And as I was doing some reading on that. I came across uh, a quote by Ken Geyer that just blew me away and kind of helped me put together this message. And here's what he said. Day by day, the work continues. The more the marble wastes, the more the statue grows. You know, it had been interesting to see Michelangelo making that sculpture starting off this big block of Carabba marble that he picked up from the quarry and just chipping, chipping off pieces of the rock. And the more the marble wastes, the more the marble falls to the side, the more the statue begins to form. And as I thought about that, wow, what a great description of the Christian life. You see, the believer's The believers in Jesus Christ are a masterpiece. God is trying to conform each of us to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And just like that sculptor takes the chisel and knocks off pieces of stone, God does the same thing in our lives through trials and tribulations and those things that sometimes are painful. But he is trying to make us into the masterpiece he wants us to be. And as I thought more about this statue and this rock, I also thought about this. In the attempt to free the image of Christ that is enslaved within the stone of sin, 
God begins to chip away everything that isn't Jesus. You see, your life is outside of Jesus Christ is that stone of sin. And God is, is chipping away everything in your life that's not of Jesus because he wants you to be truly that masterpiece that he's created you to be. So as we talk about the masterpiece in us, uh, we go to what I feel like is one of the masterpiece passages in all God's word, and that is Ephesians 2. So what we're going to do, I'm kind of old school. We're just going to go verses 1 through 10 and see what God has uh, for us this morning as we learn about what it means to be a masterpiece of grace. Well, the first thing I want you to see in the first part of this passage is who you are without Christ. Who are you without Jesus Christ in your life? And these three verses give us a very dark and horrific description of who you are outside of Jesus Christ. So follow along with me. I have it there in your notes and also up here on the screen, beginning in verse 1 of chapter Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh and carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. As I said, a very dark and horrific description of who you are without Christ. And I may be speaking to some of you this morning, sitting right here in this room, and the truth of the matter is you've never crossed from darkness into light. You never have given your life to Jesus Christ. You never have surrendered to him as your Lord and Savior. And if you haven't, this verse describes your state today. And I kind of want to just walk through this real quickly and let us see what, the, the, get a better understanding of that description. The first thing that you need to understand that without Christ, you are a corpse. The Bible says you were dead in your trespasses. Spiritually, you are dead without Jesus Christ in your life. You're not sick. You don't have issues. You don't have mental problems. You are dead without Jesus Christ. Spiritually dead. You don't need resuscitation. You need resurrection. Your life without Jesus Christ is dead because of the sins and the trespasses of your life. That's why Paul writes in Romans that the wages of sin is death. So understand, that person that you may know and love, a loved one, a friend, a neighbor, who does not know Jesus Christ, without Christ, they are spiritually dead. They are a corpse. They're also controlled. They're controlled by the three great enemies of God. Let me just go through those quickly as they're mentioned here in this passage. They're first controlled by the domains of this world. As the Bible says, they once walked following the course of the world or the ways of the world. The person without Jesus Christ, 
Consciously and subconsciously, it's controlled by the values and systems of the world. It is the ways of the world that they live their life by. A very self-centered life. A life solely about having fun, seeking the pleasures of life. Nothing to do with the things of God. They are controlled by the course of the world or the way of the world. They're under the control of the domain of the world. They're also under the control or direction of Satan. As it talks about in this verse, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience is what the Bible says. And as you look at descriptions of Satan, that's, that's a description of Satan. You know, he is, a, as the Bible says in John 10, 10, he's a thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And when people think about, you know, Satan and being possessed by demons, you know, you get pictures of exorcism and all this kind of stuff. And trust me, I'm not downplaying any of that. I think when, when people do these mass murders and stuff, I, I truly believe there's probably a, a demonic influence that was behind a lot of that. But what I'm saying is when you're under the direction of Satan, Satan is much smarter and much smoother. So what he does, he moves in a very subtle way. And what he does, he wants to elevate the self in you. He wants that self to be in control of your life. That that self-righteousness, that self-centeredness, he wants self to be on the throne of your life. Because if self is on the throne, then God is not. There's nothing more that Satan wants you to do than to be quiet and say nothing about your faith. And we have too many what I call sit and soak Christians, and we need believers that will take a stand for Christ. But Satan wants to shut you up, and he's even worked in the society of our world today to make it almost illegal to talk about Christ. And I'll have time to get into all that. I would, but it's beyond the scope of this message. But for the unbeliever, without Jesus Christ, you are a corpse. You are controlled by the domain of the world, the direction of Satan, and also the desires of the flesh. As it talks about here, um, we once lived in the pleasures of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And that's where a lot of people are today. This, this flesh, this sinful nature, this fallen nature that we're born with so desires to want to control our body and our mind and make us do the things and think the things that are disobedient to God. The unsaved person is controlled by these three incredibly powerful enemies of God, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And listen. He cannot on his own overcome this control. He cannot do it. She cannot do it. He needs outside help, and that help can only come from the grace of God. And finally, as we look at who you are without Christ, the last part of this verse says that uh, you are by children, nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So not only are you a corpse and not only are you controlled, but you're also condemned. The Bible says that without Jesus Christ, you're a child of wrath. When you reject Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, 
You become disobedient and you face a future of certain divine judgment of God. And that judgment will always lead to death and hell. Not a lot talk about hell these days, but my friend, for those of us that we know have loved ones that are without Christ, they face an eternity in hell. That's what the Bible says. As I think about this passage and read this passage, I'm, I'm burdened by those that I know, loved ones that I have who don't know Jesus Christ. And the Bible gives us a clear description of who they are without Christ. They are dead. They are spiritually dead. They are controlled by the three great enemies of God, and they are condemned to an eternity in hell. That's not good news. It ought to burden us. But what makes this passage so wonderful that it doesn't end here? It moves on. So that's who you are without Christ. And that may be some of you sitting in this room today. You may realize that sitting on the throne of your life is self. Self is the one making all the choices. As I have there in your notes, just as the essence of sculpture is the loss of stone, the essence of being conformed to the image of Christ is the loss of self and all its hyphenates. Self-interest, self-dependence, self-indulgence, self-protection, self-preservation, self-promotion. I can go on and on. Self-centeredness, self-satisfaction, self-praise, on and on. The essence of the sculpture is the loss of that stone, and that stone is the loss of self for those to be an image of Christ. So, who you are without Christ, a very dark and discouraging picture. But as I said, it doesn't end there. Let's move on. Look at the next verses. What God did through Jesus Christ for your life. Verse 4, as we continue this passage. It says, again, after hearing this horrific, dark description of a person outside of Christ, verse 4, but God. Man, you ought to underline that. You ought to highlight that. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. Again, as I look at this passage, I just smile. But God, see, God loves you so much. And yet when you look at who you are without Christ, it breaks his heart. He doesn't want you to stay like that. 
So there's this problem, but God had to provide a provision. And that provision was Jesus Christ. But, but Christ, Christ in his grace chose to reach down and to save us. And as I look at this incredible passage here, there are three things that I think we can see that God, God gives us. When we are, when Christ is, is working in our life, when uh, we think about what Christ has done through our life, there's three things that, that this passage talks about. First, he gives you love. He gave you a love. Bible talks about here in verses 4 and, and 5, but God being rich in his mercy because of the great love which he loved us even when we were dead. He loved us. You know, sin does not have the last word. God has the last word and the last word is love. The Bible says that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, it was Calvary that God displayed his hatred of sin by hanging on that cruel cross. And it was also at Calvary that God expressed his love for sinners. He had to go to the cross. He had to pay the price for you and for me. And when I think about what God has done for me, See, I don't know what's inside of you. I don't know what's inside of your mind. I don't know the thoughts you have, the things you do. I know what's inside of me. And that Christ says that while I was still yet a sinner, Christ died for me. It's a love that's beyond my comprehension. And oftentimes when when we see this love being related to to sinners, it's related um, through his grace and his mercy. That's how it's expressed. And I I say this all the time, grace is when God gives you what you don't deserve. That's grace. You don't deserve an eternity in heaven, but God, because of his grace, gives you what you don't deserve. Mercy is when God doesn't give you what you do deserve, because you deserve death and hell. But God doesn't give, give you that through his mercy. So it is his mercy and his grace that are expressions of his love that he has for each of you. God gave us his love. He also gave us a lift. Talks about there in in verses 6 and 7 of this passage. It says, um, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but I am so ready for heaven. The more I live in this world, the older I get, the more I realize I am not of this world. This is not my home. As the old preacher used to say, my bags are packed and I'm ready to go. He can come today. I'm ready to go. This is not my home. And again, Christ reminds us that not only has he saved you and give you a life that's um, an abundant and fulfilling life, but he also gives you eternity in heaven with him. To be seated with him, fellowship with him, worship him, as it talks about here. As I think about that, again, I am just overwhelmed with emotion that God would do that for me. 
and he's done it for me. He's done it for you. He's given you love. He's going to give you a lift and take you to heaven. But more than anything, he's given you an abundant, eternal life. See, a person's trust is in Christ alone. And when he has that trust, he is given, hear me, a gift of salvation. Not a reward for your life. Because there is nothing you can do to merit or earn the gift of salvation. It is truly God's gift to you. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are given this gift of salvation. A gift that will evermore change your life. Cannot be earned, cannot be accomplished. It is truly a gift that God has given you for those who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And as I think about this, again, I'm just blown away. I'm, I'm truly am amazed at what Christ has done for me. And also, I'm very undeserving of what Christ has done for me. When I think about this wonderful gift of salvation, when I think about what Christ has done for me and what Christ has done for you, there ought to be something different about us. People ought to notice something different about you because Jesus Christ is now Lord of your life. It is the Holy Spirit who's taken residence in your life, and people ought to know there's something different about you. They ought to see the love and compassion coming out through you. They ought to see a picture of Christ in everything that you do. But why is it that so many believers live a lifestyle almost exactly the same as those unbelievers. You know, I told you the unbelievers have that self on the throne. But yet when I look at many Christians today, I don't see a difference in their lifestyle, their actions between the believer and the unbeliever. And as I thought more about that, I think it goes back to this issue of self. Instead of surrendering to the lordship of Jesus Christ, they're kind of trapped. And I put there in your notes, Lord, help me. Because sometimes we can fall uh, prey to this. Lord, help me. Help me to love the person I am becoming more than I long for the person I am losing. And I think that's where so many weak, defeated Christians are today. They're living in two worlds, and you cannot do that. For those who are in Christ, you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. He is now Lord of every area of your life. You cannot go back and dabble in the old life anymore. But yet I see so many defeated Christians doing that. They're kind of living in these two worlds. So my prayer is for us. Help me become the person, I'm, help me to love the person I'm becoming more than I long for the person I am losing. Christ has done incredible things in our lives. And as we talk about what God did through Christ, uh, I'm going to move on to verse 10 and talk about who you are in Christ. Because this is the main verse of our message this morning. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
You know, as I think about this verse, the Greek word for workmanship uh, means kind of, is where we get our English word poem from, P-O-M-E. Also, it's where we get our word masterpiece. Uh, and some translations that you may have may use the word, for we are his masterpiece. And that's how I like to read it. Because that helps me when I'm getting down on myself. I need to be reminded, Shannon, you are his masterpiece. Every one of you sitting in this room, for those of you in Christ, I'm here to tell you this morning that you are a masterpiece. And as I look at this masterpiece, I'm reminded, first of all, what a divine product it really is. This product that you are, this masterpiece that you are, I could use many terms to describe it. First, uh, I want to use the masterpiece is priceless. You know, I started off talking about the, the Pieta, this incredibly priceless sculpture of Michelangelo. You know, you can't even put a price on something like that. But I'm here to tell you this morning that your life, when you compare it to the Pieta, the Pieta is like a stone you would just throw away in the woods. Your life is far more valuable to Christ than a sculpture. Your life is priceless because a divine God used his divine hands to create a divine masterpiece. Redeemed by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Christ died on the cross so you could become righteous in him. He paid the price. You are a masterpiece in Christ and you're truly priceless. And ought to say, make you want to say amen. You are a masterpiece of grace. This world will beat you up and tell you you're not good enough. You don't look good enough. You don't do good enough as a parent or whatever. I'm here to tell you that in Christ, you are a masterpiece of grace is what you are. And you're priceless. Not only are you priceless, you're timeless. You had a beginning, but in Christ, you are a masterpiece that will have no end. Your life is eternal. Your life is everlasting. God has done this for you through Christ. You are his work, his masterpiece. It's also original. You know, I'm blown away when, uh, when I, again, I don't know much about art, but I know there's a lot of copies out there of the great masterpieces they try to sell and all this kind of stuff. And you may have seen a documentary or something on that, but when they put the original beside the copy, I'm looking at it going, that's, that's two of the same paintings. I mean, I don't see any difference. And of course, those with a trained eyes can look and see uh, what's, which one is the original, which one is the masterpiece. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning, you are wonderfully and beautifully made in the image of Christ. And there is no one, not even close to being a copy of you. Christ created you distinctly to give you his image and make you his masterpiece. There are no copies of you. You are an original masterpiece of grace. But I also want to tell you that you are a masterpiece on display. You know, when the sculptor or the artist finishes their great work of art, when it's finally done, all the hard work is over, 
the next step for them and the happiest step is when it hangs in a gallery or a museum for others to see and enjoy it. Well, that's exactly what Christ has done. You were saved not by good works. You were saved by Jesus Christ. He used his artistic genius to complete his finished work, you, his divine sculpture. And he has now put you on display for his praise and his glory. And people ought to see something different about us in Christ. As I said earlier, they ought to see the the joy of having Christ in your life. Remember that you are a divine product made by the divine hands of a divine God. You are priceless, you are timeless, you are original, and God wants you to be on display for others. That's the masterpiece that you are. As we see here in verse 10, you are a divine product. But it doesn't end there. It talks about a divine purpose that we need to have. And that's what it says uh, there in verse 10. For we created, um, for your, his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. As we read about earlier in uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, you, you're not saved by works. You're not saved by anything you can do. You're not saved by your good works, but you are saved to do good works. That's the big difference. And because Christ now lives in us through the Holy Spirit who indwells in us, we have the capability to do good works, good works that will glorify God and build up his kingdom. This is the divine purpose of the divine masterpiece that God has created in each of us who are in Christ. So not only do we have a divine product and a divine purpose, we also have a divine plan. And I'm blown away when I read this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I am astonished when I think of the fact that before I was ever born, God had a plan, a wonderful plan and will for my life. It was prepared for me. It was, it was there for me. See, he loved us. He saved us. He prepared us to do these good works to glorify God and testify of the salvation that he has given me. I say this often also that there is no better place to be than in the center of God's will for your life. And we've talked about how you have to, what steps you need to take to, to know the will of God. But I tell you what, when you know God's will for your life, there is no better place to be because that, that, That is the divine plan he prepared beforehand for you. And as I think about his plan, his plan for our lives extends far beyond our salvation. Extends the sanctification. That that set apart, that that Christians are set apart to, to live and become more and more like Christ every day. It's beyond standing in grace It's also walking on good deeds. And Christians 
There ought to be something, brothers, there ought to be something different about our life. They should see that in everyday, in our everyday actions. You know, as we come, try to close this, I have a couple more things I, I want to talk about. And that's this one here. Every believer is like God's great work of art. Living, breathing pictures of his grace and his mercy. And I want you to leave this morning with the idea that you are a priceless masterpiece made from the divine hands of God Almighty. Just as Michelangelo did that incredible work that we see and still enjoy today, it is, it is absolute rubbish compared to the value of your masterpiece life. And when this world tries to beat you up, remind you, remind yourself that I am an original, priceless masterpiece made by the divine hands of God. I have one more thing I want to show you. I don't think it's in your notes, but I want to leave you with this thought. Your life is a priceless work of art in the Lord's hands. God's perfect touch is sculpting your life day by day to create the masterpiece he envisions you to be. Every strike of the chisel gives shape to your individual identity in him. You can trust his craftsmanship, rely on his artistry because he is the master artist who loves each of his works. You know, we started off with the video. Child doing some scribbling. Looks like a mess. Well, that's our lives. Our lives without Jesus Christ is a mess. And you can't fix it. No matter how smart you are, no matter how gifted you think you are, you cannot fix that mess in your life. But there is one who can, Jesus Christ. He can take that mess and create a masterpiece. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this incredible, powerful passage that we have in Ephesians 2. And Lord, thank you for the reminder in verse 10 that we are your workmanship. We are your masterpiece. And Father, I pray that each of us would live a life that reflects that truth. As the old preacher used to say, God don't make no junk. He has made you an original, priceless masterpiece, timeless masterpiece to be on display for the world to see. Lord, thank you for what you have done for us through and in Jesus Christ. In his name I pray. Amen.